Hi there, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. This is the podcast that tells the stories of women with unusual, interesting, and inspiring careers. And if you subscribe in iTunes or wherever you normally get your podcasts, you'll find a host of wonderful women talking to me about their lives, their motivations, their successes and failures, and what they have learned. I'm so excited about this week's guest as I absolutely love her work. But she comes across also as one of those people who I just think I'd love to go for a cocktail with and have a right laugh. Laura Bartlett is a one-woman entrepreneurial whirlwind. We so frequently hear that print journalism is dead, but she has stuck two fingers up to the status quo and founded House of Coco, a luxury travel and fashion magazine for the nomadic adventure seeker, of which she is also editor-in-chief. It is quite simply beautiful, and there is a really good reason that it's stocked in Harrods and Selfridges. When you see the stunning photos of the places she travels, Laura's life looks pretty great from the outside, but her career has by no means always been plain sailing. By her mid-twenties, Laura had been declared bankrupt and survived an ordeal on the BBC's Dragon's Den in front of millions of people, of which more later. She was, as she says, pretty broke at this point. Surely starting another magazine wasn't a good idea. Well, think again. Laura's infectious enthusiasm, can-do attitude and overwhelming positivity were really striking to me in this interview. She is not one to lie down or be crushed, even after humiliation on national TV. I, for one, was really inspired by her and was delighted to learn this week that she has been nominated for the Outstanding Entrepreneur Award at the Northern Power Women Awards. Good luck, Laura. Laura is from the wonderful city of Leeds, big up the north, and I spoke to her from there. I started by asking her if she'd always wanted to run her own business or whether she had other childhood ambitions. Um, well, well, it's funny because one of the themes for our print magazine next year is the dreams issue. And so it's open loads of conversations amongst the team of what did we dream of being when we were a kid? And my dream was to work on a checkout. Like I literally just wanted to work in the supermarket on a checkout. Yeah. And like when I, when I was a kid, my parents used to go shopping at the supermarket. And then when they brought the food home, I would ask if I could put it away so that I could put it all out on the sides pretend to beep it through a fake till and then put it in the cupboard. Oh, bless you. <laughs> but then when I got to 15, um, my dreams increased, fortunately. Um, <laughs> I remember being 15 and having two very vivid thoughts. Um, one of them was, I know everything there is to know, I couldn't possibly learn anymore, um, which is a typical 15-year-old mindset. And the other <laughs> thing was, I know that I, I knew from 15 that I would have my own business, but I right. never knew what it would be okay Um, yeah I guess I've known for a while that's um I would be I guess I didn't know the word entrepreneur back then but yeah I guess I knew this was going to be my path in some capacity Mm -hmm. so you left school at 18 and then made a decision to go straight into work and you got your first job after hearing an ad on the radio is that right can you tell me a little bit about that yeah, so I heard this advert on the radio from media sales executive and obviously had no idea what that meant. I was 19 years of age and I just thought, that sounds cool. I want it. Um, but yeah, I'd never had a job before that. So I'd pretty much flopped all my A-levels and um, applied for this job and said, I haven't got a CV. I've never had a job. but I'm a sponge and I'm willing to learn and somehow blagged my way into getting this amazing career working in the media sales at the radio station. Um, I was on like 30 grand a year with a company car. Uh, it was crazy. I mean, when That's I pretty when good I, at nineteen, to be fair. Like, 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 fake it till you make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. That's that is amazing. And I have to say, sales is like my 
fucking nightmare. Like the idea of trying to sell stuff to people is something that just makes me go a bit cold. Like, did you, how did you cope with the kind of inevitable rejection of people just being like, no, no, no. Is that something that came easily to you or did you build that over a period of time? Or actually, did you sell really easily? Maybe you sold everything to everybody. Actually, a few months into the job, they pulled me to one side and they were like, you're not the person you were in your interview. I felt really out of depth. Um, But they trained me and they helped me. And selling then was way easier because radio was a great platform to be on. Uh, Social media wasn't really, you know, a thing. And um, they gave me great training. And I was selling something that I believed in. So I found it easier. Plus, you have like a creative who comes out with you into meetings and you're meeting all these cool people. And um, you do have to get through the no's to get to the yeses. But I do find when I speak to entrepreneurs myself that um, they all find this issue with selling because usually you're selling yourself and your own services. Mm. And it's hard to a put a price on that and then be ask for the money because you almost feel like you're not deserving of it. But I definitely feel like that job um, at the age of 19 working in media sales and getting the advertising sales background has definitely helped me because um, without without that knowledge, I definitely wouldn't have built the business that I have today. Mm. Do you feel so you feel that the skills you learned there kind of set you up for going on into other things? Yeah, if you don't know, you know, if you you don't know how to make money, then it doesn't make any sense. It's all good and well having these creative ideas and there's literally no point. Or there is, if it's just going to be a hobby. <laughs> and so you set up your first magazine while you were still at the radio station, um, which was Urban Coco. So that was, is that a fashion magazine? Is that right? Yeah, it was a fashion magazine. But there's always a part of the story that I kind of skip over and forget about. Okay. Um, before my magazine, my, my first business actually was um, called Handbag Heaven. And I right. sold handbags and I actually um, literally purely through Facebook I just had a Facebook page selling these handbags and it grew and it grew and then I had a shop um, in Birmingham randomly at the mailbox center so I had this um, shop next door to Harvey Nichols for a few months it was only a temporary thing over the Christmas period Um, but then it was long enough to realize that retail was not for me (laughs) and how did you staff that when you were presumably doing a full-time job elsewhere at that stage were you yeah, I was. Um, I literally had £100 and I got £100 worth of wholesale stock of, um, stock of handbags and pr- promoted them on my Facebook page. And within a week, I sold them and made £400. So I just kept reinvesting the £400 back in. But it was literally just um, buying stock, uploading them onto social media, you know, writing content on the on the Facebook page, going to the post office to post them, you know. You, you can you can do that alongside a full-time job it wasn't hard and then in terms of the shop in Birmingham did you run that yourself as well or did you have someone else kind of help you out with that that's um because obviously that's presumably not where you were living at that stage were you and you're in, in yeah, I was yeah. Still in yeah. Mm. I, um, I would go down on weekends and then I had um like an intern well okay. not an intern a young girl who would run it through the week okay um so yeah she was pretty much I'd just catch up with her at the end of each day start of each day end of each day um, but yeah, still managed to hold down a full-time job. That's cool. Gosh, they, they were like good old days. Like when I... <laughs> <laughs> it was so easy back then. I know, I know. Things have changed a lot. Like I was talking to someone the other day about that I can remember so clearly the first time I heard about Facebook when I was, it was in 2005 and I can so clearly remember when it was. And I was just thinking about that the other day and I was thinking, God, and I said at the time, I'm never going to be on there. I don't want to be putting myself out. I don't want anyone else to, see, else to see pictures of me, you know, and actually I just think back now and times have changed in 13 years so much, haven't they? 
Honestly, the overshare is ridiculous. <laughs> I feel like we're going like free. Like, we're doing a whole like 180, 360, whatever. Um, people are kind of having enough of it now. It's mm. too much news online. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you then, um, just rolling back to Urban Coco, that was your kind of second venture then, I guess, after, well, what happened to your handbag company? Did you sell that or wind it up or what happened to that? Uh, I just wound it up because I'd also started Urban Coco, uh, a fashion magazine at the time. And it just, alongside running a full-time job in radio and doing the handbags and launching a magazine, it was like something had to give. Mm. Um, so I decided mm. to stop with the handbags because I, I had fallen out of love with retail and instead focus on um, building Urban Coco into a, a full-time business. So then, yeah, I quit my job in radio, mainly because I was approached by an investor who um, told me that she has a car that I can have and she'll invest money. And I was young and naive, so I quit my job, went to a house to pick up the car, and it turned out it was a, what was it? It was like a, I don't know, an old battle axe that hadn't been used for years. Oh, and um, she ended up being a con artist and I never got any money. Um, but then I was like three months into running this sort of business that I had, it was like sink or swim. So um, I just got my head down and, and made it work. That was a that was a um, print magazine that was distributed in in Leeds, and you ran that for a couple of years. During which time you went on Dragon's Den in that stage. I'm sure you've probably told this story like a million times. But do you want to just fill in the listeners about that and tell us about that experience? Because having an unsuccessful appearance on Dragon's Den, I think, must be a bit bruising. I mean, a bit bruising. It's funny. I bumped into a lady in the shop yesterday who recognised me from. Um, oh no way! <laughs> I found, not from Dragon's Den from Facebook. She says, "Oh, I follow you. I follow your journey. It's really funny. You know, you've turned things around from Dragon's Den. This is just leads for you. It's so small." Um, <laughs> and I was saying, we were talking about how um, they can. They were so harsh to me. And if I wasn't strong and resilient and the person that I am, that could have really crushed my career. And I said, actually, you know, on these programs, they should do some form of follow up. They should offer counselling because ultimately you're on TV in front of millions of people. And if you have an experience like mine, you're getting embarrassed in front of millions of people and people are watching you. Like that's not good for your self-esteem and your no. self um, And did they give you any sort of positive feedback about why they didn't think your company was worth investing in? Or was it just you're a bit rubbish? No, do you know what? You only remember the bad stuff, don't yeah. you? There was... <laughs> Um, you know, Piers Linney was one of the dragons at the time, and he said some really nice things. Um, but yeah, it kind of only focused on the negatives, which was like, um, Peter Jones, who do you think you are? How dare you compete with me? Quit now. This is never going to work. Um, but I've spent years watching the program and seeing people like screw up on their numbers and they don't know their information. And I'm like, you're an idiot. How don't you know this? <laughs> and I was that idiot. Oh, bless you. <laughs> And no, my turnover and my numbers, and it's a really intense situation. Um, yeah, I'd spent such a long period of time with the producers telling me I was amazing and that they'd love my idea. So when I didn't get that response, I just wasn't prepared. I only went in there with one outcome in my mind, so I just wasn't prepared for any sort of negative feedback. So, yeah, that was probably naive on my part. But at the same time, though, somebody then is kind of almost building you up to fail because they just have put you up there to think, yep, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. And then that that kind of fall that comes after that is even more crushing when somebody's basically told you that they think you're amazing. You know, like that's that must be very hard to come back from, apart from the fact that you're obviously a very resilient person, as you say. Yeah, no, it, it, it does burn a little bit, but, um, you know... <laughs> well, 
screw them. You didn't need them in the end. And you've made a damn good success of your career so far. So just making it up as I go along. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. So are most people in life, though. That is like totally life for most people, isn't it? So clearly you were able to kind of bounce back from that and um, and and take the business on anyway. Um, so with the with Urban Coco, what happened next after that? Obviously, you kind of got over the disappointment of, of Dragon's Den. And, and what kind of came next for you after that, Laura? So I was asking for investment to take it from a Leeds magazine, uh, free Leeds magazine to an internationally distributed paid for on the newsstands magazine. Um, so I just after spending the next day sobbing my heart out and knowing that in six months time, millions of people were going to see me make a fool of myself on national TV. I just got my head down and I worked really hard and I actually got a distribution company on board. I worked my ass off and sold advertising space and I launched the magazine on sale in 16 countries um, the same weekend that the program aired. And so it sold out worldwide. So I did three international magazines. Um, but what happened after that was um, the exposure of the show opened me up to loads of opportunities. One of them being um, the Clothes Show asked me to be a media partner. Okay. So Magazine, Elle Magazine and Cosmopolitan were the media partner this one specific year. And sort of worst case scenario, I should have made like 50 grand, best case scenario, whatever, quarter of a million quid. So again, naively, I went into this thinking, I'm going to make quarter of a million pounds. <laughs> Um, put all my eggs in one basket, exhausted my 30-day payment terms, got printed this magazine, blah, 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 blah. And I made five pounds. Oh, my God. And so the company went into liquidation. Um, was that just because of the huge costs of getting yourself to the event, essentially, was it? Well, actually, being a media partner, there were no costs involved. But then I had created, a, I had this massive space at the event. So I invested money in having this really cool stand design, having like 15,000 copies of our magazine printed and all this extra stuff. Um, so that's where all the money went, really. And then, um, yeah, uh, I got me bankrupt on the back of that. Jesus. I mean, that's that's a big thing. And how old were you at that stage? 25 26 okay okay gosh and and how did you how did you come like did you go home did you sell stuff like how did you kind of turn around from that and presumably you had people employed by that stage as well did you yeah I did I left um I left the event on the second day so it's a five-day event and I left on the second day like physically didn't have enough money to stay another day Oh God! I had literally, when I say put all my eggs in one basket, I had literally put all my eggs in one basket, yeah. and that was a naive decision. You know, as a businesswoman and as a business owner, you should, you should either you know do your checks and make sure it's the right event for you and it's the right audience, or B, make sure that if it doesn't work out, it's not going to be to detriment, you know, mm. a detrimental effect. But spread your risk, I guess. Yeah. yeah, hindsight is a wonderful thing. So you basically obviously went back to the drawing board after that. But I kind of love the fact that you weren't cowed by that. And, you know, clearly that was a big setback. Um, and, you know, as understatement of the century. Um, but you were determined to launch another magazine and make a success of that. So how did you kind of get back on the horse, as it were, with House of Coco? Um, well, I basically had a few months of not doing anything and realized I don't really know how to do anything else. So I decided to relaunch um, a new magazine, not focus on fashion, because at that time I'd fallen out of love with the industry anyway. Um, and I didn't feel like there was a lot of money to be made there. And instead, focus on travel and focus on growing a team of people as opposed to having everything for myself. Um, so, yeah, I launched House of Coco four years ago, um, four years and two months. 
And yeah, now four years later, there's 30, 30 of us in the team all around the world. Um, collectively, we're called Team Coco. And um, yeah, we're just having a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> and you, it's an all-female team, is that right? Accidentally, yeah. We're not, you know, okay. we just don't seem to have any men apply for our positions. And that's fine. <laughs> um, although we do have to he, he's our um, stylist and then just resident uh, whatever. He gets to be involved where he can. And he's not female. So. <laughs> so just like on a total practical level, you're you're essentially broke. Like how did you go back to living with your parents or were you just kind of, did you have another job to kind of start this as a side hustle or? Yeah, I was living with my parents and um, I I didn't have any money, but I managed to get somebody to design a website for free. I designed a media kit myself. And then I literally went back to people that I already knew in the industry and then like just went out and spoke to people and said, look, this is what I'm doing. This is the magazine. Uh, Obviously, I already had a bit of respect in the industry because I'd already done something of worth before. Um, And yeah, I mean, I started House of Coco with zero pounds and I've never had a single penny of investment. Um, And and we were a six figure profitable business. Yeah, which is which is amazing, actually. And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm really, I I love that as well, because there's so much um, emphasis in a lot of other areas of industry about startups and entrepreneurship, about this pressure to find funding and pitching to venture capitalists and, you know, having to get people to invest in your company. And actually, you're just total living proof. And House of Cocoa is proof that it doesn't have to be that way. Like, if you do it right, you can do it from a base of nothing from what you've got and build from there. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes by the time you've spent all this time, you know, looking for investors, working on pitches, putting yourself through all that pressure, you know, that's a six, that's six months gone. That's six months of potentially speaking to potential people to buy your brand or advertise or whatever, whatever the ways you make your money. I'd rather go out and just find clients than spend time trying to find investors. But everyone's different. I've just been very much like I've done this by myself I you know I, I pride myself on that um and I'll continue to do it by myself you know this would have grown way way quicker if I had an investor but I haven't and it's still good so slowly slowly wins the race <laughs> absolutely and you've got 30 people working for you all over the world you've no offices so I'm really kind of intrigued this is this is quite a new concept of Officeless working, I guess. Um, you know, everyone's laptop working and just connected. How do you organize your team and how do you kind of keep in touch with them and, and you know, mentor them and have meetings and all that kind of thing? Like, how do you practically run a team that may very rarely actually see one another, presumably? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. We hardly ever do. We've got some people in Leeds, obviously, which is where I am. We've got some in Manchester, some in London, some in the Caribbean, some in America, some in Australia. So we communicate via our private Facebook group. Um, and we that's it. We communicate in there on email, uh, on Skype if we need to, on sort of group chat calls. And then there's a few of us who are like the core team who um, live in the UK. So we can get together every kind of few weeks. And then we've got our Christmas cart party coming up next month. So I've decided to do it in Leeds because uh, that means I don't have to go anywhere. But yeah, literally we communicate via Facebook. We upload our content via a Google Drive. The designer picks it up from there. We sign off our proofs online. And the first time we see the magazine is the, the first time the stores see it. So it goes out to the stores and then we get our copies as well. 
Cool. And your magazine is now stocked in Harrods and Selfridges, amongst other places. It's it's high end. It's niche. It's luxury. It's beautiful. I absolutely love your content. Um, did you make a conscious decision to aim for that kind of upper end of the market um, as opposed to being more of a kind of mass mainstream magazine, do you think? Well, no. I mean, you, when you first start out, like when I first started this, it was just like a matter of just getting something out there. And when you first start as well, you don't want to be too brazen. You're not very brave. You, you're still trying to like carve a path in the industry. So the, mm. each magazine has a theme. And the theme of the very first print issue was actually death of a trend. And we talked about huh. how we didn't believe in trends and fashion trends and travel trends and whatever. Um, and I remember sitting down with Gillian, who's still our designer now, and Penny, who's still a part of the team. And we said, you know, look, we can't be too brave with our content you know we can't swear we can't do this um until we've found our place in the industry and fast forward four years we don't we don't give a shit we kind of just like say what we want we talk how we want we swear in our content if we want to um we've really kind of honed in on who we are and where you know we're fearless we're brave we're honest um and but yeah that's that's something that's happened over time in the beginning we were being pussies I guess <laughs> uh, and now we're like um full-on roaring tigers absolutely absolutely and um you're obviously distributed worldwide that's very cool like where do you see the future of the brand going like what's next for House of Coco do you reckon so at the moment, you can only buy it on the newsstands in London, like you say, Harrods and Selfridges, tube stations, airports, that kind of thing. Although we do have an online stockist newsstand who distribute it all over the world. Um, we're actually the third largest seller out of 4,000 titles on there, um, which is cool. So next is launching in other cities. So this will become ultimately House of Cocoa London. We're going to launch House of Cocoa Leeds and we're going to have House of Cocoa New York. So I'm just in the middle actually today of planning a trip to New York in January. I'm spending a few weeks out there to kind of just go and like immerse myself with and meet some people and kind of get the ball rolling with the New York version of the magazine. Um, and then the other thing is, like I say, collectively, we're called Team Coco. Anyone who follows us on social media will see that we're constantly on the road doing cool stuff. So someone's just come back from Morocco. I've got someone heading to the Seychelles this weekend. Um, someone's just come back from Vegas. Like we're constantly on the move. And I'm constantly like literally I must get 10 messages every single day from people saying, how do I join Team Coco? How do I join? And you can only join if you're a writer and we're recruiting. So I'm actively turning people away who want to be a part of what we're doing. Um, so I've been thinking for a while, like, what can I do to include everybody? Like, how can everybody join our movement? And so we're launching Team Coco Gang, um, which is going to be like a membership hub for people who want to be a part of our team. And they'll then get access, they'll almost become like brand ambassadors, but they'll get access to exclusive content and retreats and events and money can't buy opportunities. And also... Uh, more advice down the business route um, we're pretty much targeting you know millennials young professionals and by 2020 80 percent of those that audience will have a side hustle so we're creating content to help them sort of turn their side hustle into a full-time job or how to monetize it and there'll be a lot of sort of more business and careers based content for people who are members you know talking about entrepreneurs and and in the the digital age we see a lot of kind of carefully curated travel instagram accounts where people are you know seemingly having a wonderful time but there's very i feel it 
being honest about the kind of challenges of being a freelancer where in the travel industry, you know, you're obviously making a good living and you've got a very, very successful publication. But how is it for other people in terms of actually practically making a living in that industry? Like, is it is it possible to make a good living as a freelance travel writer in that way, do you think, Laura? Like, do you think that is the future as opposed to, you know, traditional newspaper travel journalism? Well, I just think there's so many people wanting to be travel writers now that it's like, who's who's in it for the right reasons? There is definitely enough money to go around for everybody. Um, but I think you've got to be quite unique with what you're offering. So, you know, a pretty picture on Instagram is not enough for a travel brand. You know, they need to, you need to tell the story. You need to, you need to be honest as well. And, and like you say, like people post these pretty pictures, but one thing that we talk about in the team is like, we have to be honest because as an example, I was in Venice um, two weeks ago and the day that I was there, um, they, they witnessed the highest tides they've seen in 150 years, which basically meant when we, the, the bottom floor of our hotel was flooded and in order to get around we were walking in black bags up to wrapped around our body and the water was up to our waist if you go on my instagram you'll see my black bag chic um i even put one on on my head like an african princess just to uh, finish the look but that was real and that was like honestly what was happening yet there was another travel influencer um who i could see that was in venice also she posted a gorgeous picture of her stunning uh, outfit where it was completely dry she'd like gone up some stairs so that she was nowhere near the water and didn't reference the fact that these tides were so high that you had to walk around with water up to your waist and so people could have seen her picture and then gone to Venice and not you know got a false representation um which actually if you were if you're a normal tourist then going to Venice off the back of that that kind of thing would maybe not ruin your holiday but certainly affect your trip you know I mean, it would definitely ruin it because I found it really fun. I've been to Venice before and I already fell in love with it. So seeing a different side of it was just quite fun to me. But had that been my first time and maybe I was going with a boyfriend and it was supposed to be a romantic trip, like that would have ruined it. But I did I did have quite a few people message me and say, look, I'm going to Venice. I'm seeing mixed things online. Like, do I need to pack this? What do I need to do? And I was like, look, this is the truth. This is how high the water <laughs> I'm telling the truth. These the people are just doing it for the gram. <laughs> bring, bring your bring your wellies, yeah. Bring your, bring your <laughs> um, and just obviously, this podcast is about you know women with um, inspiring and unusual careers. Like, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about being a female leader, kind of girl boss. How how have you found that being a female leader in the travel industry or in the publishing industry in general? Have you? experienced any challenges particularly or how has that experience been for you because you seem like a really inclusive wonderful team leader I hope you are as nice as you seem by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think so. I'm just being myself I, I don't see myself as a leader um I, I and I don't see I don't believe in hierarchy so there's no um even if you go on our website there's nothing on there about me being the owner of the company there's nothing that shows that I'm any different to anyone else in the team um I just believe it's like one dream one team one dream we've all got the same mission we all believe the same things like um, I don't believe in being like I'm the boss and I'm the leader and yeah I'm, a hierarchy doesn't work doesn't sit well with me I'm just very inclusive we're all we're all one uh, and that I guess that seems to be working I mean I get messages from people all the time saying um, they find what I'm doing inspirational I'm, and I'm not even trying to inspire anyone I'm just doing what I'm doing and just sharing it um, and if that inspires people that's brilliant <laughs> and when you know 
you've obviously ha- always been quite credible in the industry, but have have you found that people have always taken you seriously as a young female in the publishing industry? You know, obviously you started when you were pretty young. Did you did you ever encounter any challenges that way, or has I, you know you seem very confident? Like has that always just kind of flowed? F- quite naturally for you I personally I've never seen any you know I'm 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 mixed race I have a massive curly blonde afro I am literally diversity uh check like tick 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 Um, (laughs) and I'm female and and I was young then and I've literally never felt any issues I've never felt you know I've never got an opportunity because I'm female or I've never got never been turned down for something because of the color of my skin like I don't see that I just think um Sometimes people can get so caught up in trying to look for things to blame for why they don't get opportunities when actually it's absolutely nothing to do with the way you look and the way you are. It's just the way you are as a person. Um, And I guess I'm a good person. So good things have happened. (laughs) So you said, (laughs) I love the fact we just had a little conversation about, you know, the death of the trend. But where do you think are going to be, as in like insider's tip, like the hottest new destinations for holidays? You know, maybe one in Europe and one further internationally. Have you got any good recommendations as places that are going to be coming up yeah we've actually been talking about sort of the key places where profiling next year um one of them being south africa um one of my team is going to go out there and work on some content there because it is such an up-and-coming destination uh, more not sort of uh, the lesser known regions more than anything and, what, and what's quite good about our team is we've got different people who have different interests so for example myself and Jenna we're very bougie we like you know luxury hotels all the like high-end five-star stuff Kaylin likes to travel and she's more about um, kind of getting really down and dirty with the locals and doing like you know unique hidden gems and stuff like that um, so we've got someone in the team for everything and actually it's good to have variety like that because whilst you you know you want to curate something that is beautiful it's nice to have that variety as well you know of having different takes on stuff yeah exactly and then we've got we've got penny who loves all the adventure travel and she goes skiing and skateboarding so we've got as a reader when you read our magazine you will pick up the different personalities throughout for our content um and so everyone can resonate with someone which seems to be uh working well for us yeah it's cool and just finally um I've heard you talking a little bit previously about like self-care and uh, your morning routine that's something that I've been trying to create for myself recently and found pretty helpful can you just talk a little bit about looking after yourself really and how you manage how you manage your time because you're obviously super successful and super busy but you know, looking after yourself clearly is is a really important part of what you do as well. So can you just chat a little bit about that, Laura? Yeah, I mean, people always say to me, God, you're so busy, you're so busy. And actually, I don't feel like I am. It's almost become like some kind of badge of honour to say you're busy. Um, but there's a lot of sort of busy fools. I don't I don't work, you know, 20, 24 hours a day. Um, I make sure I have time out every single day. I meditate every day. I go for a walk around the lake. Um, I make sure I've got time each day with my phone on airplane mode so I can't be contactable. I need that I need that space to just be by myself. Um, I like to read a book every single week. I don't really watch TV. I don't watch the news. I don't let negativity in. Um, I just, yeah, try and control what outside influences I let into my brain. Uh, mm-hmm. I also have me dates. So I do try and do it once a week, but it's kind of fallen off a little bit. Um, but once a fortnight or once a month, um, go on a me date. So it's literally just me going and doing something by myself whether it's um, a solo trip to the cinema or a massage or 
um that's such a good idea myself after a nice lunch um and it's just me without my laptop and not working and no one else um just whining and dining myself that's such a great idea I love that I'm like a puppy so I'm like I work with rewards so I'll say to myself if I do this by this time I get this um so if I complete this proposal and do this by this deadline then I can go and have lunch at this place Cool. That's that's a really awesome way to run your business, actually, kind of reward yourself. I'm quite like that as well. It's nice to have rewards. You don't have anyone else rewarding you when you work for yourself. So you have to you have to, you know, give yourself a pat on the back sometimes. I did a post about it actually on my Instagram um just yesterday, I think it was, saying how you know it's coming to the end of the year, everyone's putting all this pressure on themselves to still try and achieve goals and actually, you know, stop with this pressure and just look back and, and think how far you've come and what you have actually achieved this year. Um, give yourself mm. on the back for that instead of giving yourself pressure all the time no too right too right Get, where can people find you if they want to hear more about your work or read more about you what are your website plugs handles blah 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 all of house of coco is just literally house underscore of coco across all facebook instagram twitter blah 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 and then i'm just laura bartlett zero on everything as well so you can catch me on facebook i've got a private i've got a, a public page um where I share tips and advice every week and then I've got my YouTube channel where I do a weekly behind the scenes vlog um which is usually just unfiltered and me being a lunatic um so that's quite <laughs> <fun> to watch <laughs> well have a brilliant week uh where are you off to on your travels next um, well I am going on one final trip before the end of the year I'm just going to go to Austria but it's more of a detox um it's a spa I'm having loads of treatments I'm not talking to anyone and I'm reading books Oh, that is just the dream, isn't it? I love a book. Laura certainly seems to be a woman with her priorities right, that is for sure. I really like what she says about the world being full of busy fools. I too am certainly guilty of constantly moaning about how busy I am. The most challenging question anyone has asked me this year was, are you productive or are you just busy? This really made me sit up and think, and to question whether I do use my time effectively or whether I'm just aimlessly wasting too much of it. I've aimed to be more productive recently, but maybe that's also a good lesson for today, to aim to now also say I'm less busy. That's it for this week. Next week's guest is a woman with a varied career that involves running an NGO for sex-trafficked girls and a company selling bindies in the US. It'll be a good one, so join us then. Thanks for listening. I really, really do appreciate it. Please subscribe if you haven't already and feel free to leave us a nice review on your favourite podcast site as it helps others to find us. More importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling and on Instagram at Smashing The Ceiling and we'll hopefully see you next week. <laughs>